Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Russia Explained audio brief based on the English language newsletter from Novaya Gazeta. I'm Eilish Hart. Every week, we bring you everything you need to know about Russia, courtesy of a legacy independent newspaper. Here's this week's highlights. The head of Russia's most repressive region, Chechnya, continues to bully our newsroom, and the government joins in too. We tell the story of millions of foreign migrant workers who are now trapped in Russia with little or no protection against the COVID-19 outbreak. Plus, what a negative oil price means for the future of the fossil fuel-dependent Russian economy and the story of Russia's Easter inequality. Kremlin elites flout isolation orders in order to attend a VIP gathering, while the government forces everyone else to celebrate at home. Want to get the full story? Visit our website, www.noviagazeta.ru, for full-length articles in Russian. Ramzan Kadyrov's bullying of our newsroom has escalated. The head of Russia's most repressive region, Chechnya, had previously made explicit threats against us and our investigative journalist Yelena Milashina following the publication of her expose on the region's repressive COVID-19 lockdown measures. On April 15th, the government joined in and ordered us to take down the article in question under the threat of blocking access to our website. We are very thankful for the solidarity of more than 100 Russian human rights activists, politicians, scientists, and artists who have backed Milashina in a public statement. International backlash is growing too. The Committee to Protect Journalists has called on the Russian authorities to condemn Kadyrov's threats against Milashina and ensure her safety. Kadyrov spokesperson Ilman Vahidov keeps insisting that Milashina took the Chechen leader's words calling COVID-19 positive folks terrorists and threatening them with violence out of context. He did, however, consider infected Chechens a threat to everyone they come in contact with. But this does not mean that he's really going to kill them. Otherwise, where did the 15 people who recovered in the Republic come from? Vahidov said. Referring to the now-removed story, which among other things detailed the death of high-profile Chechen figure Ahmad Garayev and the subsequent COVID-19 diagnoses among nine of his relatives, Milashina defends her reporting. By blocking the articles, the only problem being solved is the spread of information, but not the virus. The Garayevs did not go anywhere and were not in quarantine, but they were sick and they were afraid to call the hotline of the operational headquarters. Even the Garayevs were afraid, a family respected by the Chechen authorities. This, of course, is suicidal behavior. But the scary thing is that the Garayevs are not alone in this. We are still following the rapid spread of the novel coronavirus across Russia. The number of infected has now exceeded 52,000 people, and the nationwide quarantine has been extended until May 1st. Yet, for a country of about 150 million people, this figure is still relatively low. The official number of reported cases has previously come under scrutiny, with experts attributing the low numbers to poor testing. As the economic devastation from the outbreak keeps worsening too, this week we are highlighting one of Russia's hardest-hit groups, millions of migrant workers. The Russian border is now closed. For most, leaving would be near impossible. Novaya Gazeta previously reported that around 400 foreigners were stuck at Moscow's Zhukovsky airport last month alone. After a week of waiting, the Kyrgyz authorities finally sent a plane to rescue their citizens, but many others who remain in Russia are stuck in limbo. 
Although the president announced that work permit deadlines would be extended for another six months, many foreigners continue to receive fines. Despite having no jobs due to the great shutdown, many migrant workers still need to pay a monthly labor patent fee of around $80, on top of high living costs. 42-year-old Ibek Nuraliyev is a citizen of Uzbekistan, who has been living and working in Russia for 15 years. He says that rent, food, and registration costs set him back about $260 a month. His next labor patent fee is due May 2nd, but Nuraliyev says that he won't have the money. I don't know what I'm going to do, he admits. Russian police officers also have a long history of racial profiling when it comes to the country's labor migrants, who mostly come from Central Asian countries. But the harassment has gotten worse during the quarantine, human rights activist Valentina Chupik warns. With officers checking documents belonging to people of non-Slavic appearance more vigorously, we report at least 15 to 17 arrests every day in Moscow alone, despite the fact that people practically don't go out, she says. Often forced to live in cramped spaces and with poor access to health care, migrant workers in Russia are disproportionately affected by the coronavirus outbreak. Today, we called about one migrant who had already died. He worked at a dacha, a country cottage, and started feeling ill. He was taken away in an ambulance. The owners were infected too. They recovered, but he died of the coronavirus, migration expert Gavhar Zhurayev tells us. If the illegal migrants get sick now, they will hide so that they don't get kicked out, so as not to lose the right to work in Russia for violating the migration regime. They will only go to the hospital as a last resort, Zhurayev says. In 2019, there were around 19 million foreigners officially working in Russia, compared to about 74.5 million working Russians, for perspective. But that's only those with legal documents. According to some estimates, about 60% of migrants are in the country illegally. While Russia badly needs migrants due to its acute demographic crisis, the government tends to downplay or silence stories detailing the long history of abuse of foreign workers, including modern-day forced labor. At Novaya Gazeta, we have made this coverage one of our long-standing priorities for many years. On April 19th, Russia celebrated Orthodox Easter, the biggest religious holiday in the country, amid an unprecedented lockdown. About half of the Russian regions completely forbade churches from opening up to the public or holding any mass events, but many disregarded the orders, including the Kremlin elites. While millions of Orthodox Russians were forced to celebrate Easter at home in isolation, in the center of Moscow, opposite the Kremlin, VIPs gathered for a closed party authorized by the authorities. Powerful Russian archpriest Vladimir Volgin was expected to lead the event. He is also rumored to be the confessor for the family of former Prime Minister and President Dmitry Medvedev. The guest of honor was celebrity priest Ivan Akhlobitsyn, whose daughter recently had the coronavirus. Some 50 guests attended in total, many of whom arrived in executive cars covering their faces. In Russia's fourth-largest city of Yekaterinburg, local authorities tried to force the clergy to quarantine, but the church refused to cooperate and opened its temples over the weekend, drawing a large crowd. Meanwhile, in Siberia's third-largest city of Omsk, a fight broke out in one of the parishes after the churchgoers attacked journalists who were covering the mass quarantine violations. 
the Russian Orthodox Church, which holds an outsized role in public life in Russia and maintains close codependent ties to Putin and the Kremlin elites, has not offered any clear guidance regarding the nationwide lockdown. Our columnist on religion, Alexander Soldatov, attributes this to the local clergy's fear of losing revenue from a stable stream of churchgoers. It turns out it's possible to save the soul without a temple, and that's a giant blow to tradition, Soldatov writes, highlighting the fact that millions of Russians celebrated Easter at home in conflict with Orthodox tradition. In this, the church has revealed a secret, which it has been using to protect its income and power, Soldatov concludes. The epidemic will pass, but the awareness of the uselessness of most of the services that the clergy provided will remain. The news of U.S. oil prices collapsing below zero dollars for the first time in history sent a shockwave across Russia, a country heavily dependent on oil and gas extraction. The Russian internet exploded with sardonic memes predicting a turbulent political and economic future for the Kremlin. But what does this really mean for the future of the Russian economy? Our economics editor, Arnold Hachaturov, shared his hot take exclusively for Russia Explained. The fallout for the Russian economy will be both better and worse than the current oil market's meltdown, Hachaturov is convinced. For starters, a negative oil price is a speculative construction, the result of trading algorithms of large investment funds. But it will definitely drag down the price of Russia's main Urals brand in the coming months towards the $10 to $15 range. This will erode the state budget dramatically. The growing budget deficit may become an additional argument in favor of tightening the public's belts and spending as little money from the Russian National Wealth Fund as possible on anti-COVID-19 stimulus measures, Hachaturov says. As a result, millions of Russians who have lost their jobs due to the great shutdown will be left without basic state assistance, but the Kremlin's sacred cow, macroeconomic stability, will be saved. Finally, let's go over the other top stories that Russia has been reading this week. Our most-read story of the week was an interview with Sayansk Mayor Alek Barovsky, who has become the first Russian official to abolish self-isolation measures in his city of 40,000 people, which is located in the Irkutsk region. He was the first to oppose Putin's decree to strengthen measures, allowing the city's shopping centers, hairdressers, and other small enterprises to start work after the first week of the vacation. At the same time, there are allegedly no cases of the coronavirus in Sayansk as of yet, according to official figures. Barovsky says the lockdown is affecting the most helpless and the poor, who cannot afford such strict measures. I do not think that a hairdresser is the most dangerous profession from which you can become infected. Why is a hairdresser worse than a cashier who sits at the checkout where hundreds of people pass in a day, he said. And as always, oil is still grabbing headlines. Despite the new OPEC Plus deal, Saudi Arabia is continuing to squeeze Russia out of the oil market, writes economist Maxim Avarbuch in a popular op-ed this week. He adds that the price war with Russia is still on, but now with renewed vigor. So what happened? 
Averbuch says there are three possible scenarios. One, Saudi Arabia is trying to encourage Russia to fulfill its obligations under the OPEC Plus deal. Two, Saudi Arabia is proposing a new deal on further reducing oil production. Or three, there's a continuation of the price war for the redistribution of the oil market. That's it for this week's Russia Explained audio brief. Thanks for listening. If you liked our brief, share, rate, and subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts and look out for us on Spotify too. Leave a comment and help us make the audio brief better. And to keep up with Novaya Gazeta's reporting, visit our website www.noviagazeta.ru and search Russia Explained. I'm Eilish Hart, signing off. <laughs>